Go ahead and open your Bibles to Acts 1. It should be page 830 in the Pew Bible. So I'm going to look at a few verses in Acts. Kind of start off for our prayer service tonight. We're looking at praying for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. In Acts 1, verses 1 through 5, Luke writes, The former treatise I have made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to both do and teach, Till the day he was taken up, after that, he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto his apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God, and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days since. Right, so the first part of Acts, it deals with this last bit of Jesus' earthly life before he ascends into heaven. He spends some time with his disciples. He's kind of preparing them for the things that are to to come. Uh, One thing I like that I like that's not really a part of this lesson, but still always important to see, is that after Jesus had risen from the dead, he appeared to his disciples, and, and Luke writes that he... He proved he was alive by many infallible proofs. Right? So that's important for us to understand. When the apostles went out and they began to preach about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, for them it wasn't like a, a faith issue. Right? They didn't believe that Jesus rose from the dead. They, they knew. They had seen the risen Christ. So as we read about the apostles and the things that they said, the things that they did, what they taught about Jesus, they are eyewitness accounts. The resurrection of Jesus, it really happened. It's not a a faith event. We take it by faith because we weren't there, but it is a real event. Jesus literally, bodily, truly rose from the dead. The tomb is empty because He got up out of there and He walked on out. Now, that is crucial for our belief as Christians. That is crucial Christian theology. But for what we're talking about tonight... He tells the disciples that they're supposed to wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father, right? which is going to come. He had told them about the promise of the Father earlier, and He tells them in verse 5, For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Right? So all of that promise, that final fulfillment, was about to come to pass. He didn't tell them exactly how long but that it was soon coming that the Holy Spirit would come. Now drop down to verse 12. Verse 12, it says, Then returned they to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is from Jerusalem on the Sabbath day's journey. And when they were come, when they were come in, they went up to an upper room, where abode Peter and James and John, and Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, Zelotius, and Judas, the brother of James. These all continued in one accord with prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with the brethren. And in those days, Peter stood up. Oh, that's too far. We don't need to go there. Um, so they gathered together. And notice what it says, that they were all in one accord. Right? They gathered together and they began to pray. Now, they don't know what day the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out. We know it as Pentecost, but they didn't know it was going to be on the day of Pentecost. They just knew it was not many days hence. And so what they do is they gather together and they begin to pray. Now, we're not told specifically what they pray, but given the context of 
what happened before and what we know comes after, it's not a, a jump to say that they begin to pray for God to fulfill that promise. But it's not a, a big assumption for us to say, well, what they were doing at that point is they are praying for the Holy Spirit to come. They are praying to be baptized with the Holy Spirit and Jesus to fulfill that last promise that He gave them before He ascended to heaven. But now look down at chapter 2 and verse 1. It says, Now when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Suddenly there came the sound from heaven, a rushing mighty wind, as it filled the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as into fire, and it set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak in other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. Right, so here they are again in one accord. And while it doesn't specifically say they were praying, given the connection with one accord in chapter 1, verse 14, to prayer, again, I think it's a safe assumption to say they were still praying. They were gathered again on another day, praying for the Holy Spirit to come. Right, so that's what they were doing. Now, I do want to point out one thing. In both instances, it says that they were in one accord. Like they were in one accord. It does mean that there was, there was unity among the brethren and the sistren that were there, right? Now, I, I don't think there are any secrets or any secret keys or anything like that that can bring about an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But considering like in Ephesians 4, Paul refers to the spirit of unity. I think we could safely say that the Holy Spirit will not come and will not pour Himself out on a divided, strife-ridden church. Uh, so it, it's important that we work to maintain unity. Our church is a very united church, and that is something we are very blessed by. But that is always something also that it doesn't take much for Satan to get in and to cause strife. So we always have to be on guard about that. Now, I think the idea of them being of one accord meant they were united, but also meant that their prayers were focused. But to me, as I look at this, in both cases, I, I think they were largely praying the same thing. All of them. I mean they were praying their own words. And in their own ways. But I think the apostles came back. And they said Jesus went to heaven. But before he did. He said to wait here. The Holy Spirit is coming. And we will receive power in that day. And so I think the church as a whole. As they were gathered there in that one accord. They were not only unified. And that they were there as Jesus people. But they were unified in their prayers. Praying for the Holy Spirit to come. And it was on this united and on this seeking people that Jesus first poured out the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're gathering here for tonight. We want to be a united people. United in one purpose as Jesus' people, but also united in our prayers. Praying for the Holy Spirit to come. United seeking an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in our lives, in our homes, and in our church. Now, as we begin to pray for the Holy Spirit to come for an outpouring like this, it's not uncommon for someone to say, well, why should we pray for the Holy Spirit? Scripture teaches that we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit at the moment of conversion. Right? He is our seal, it says in Ephesians 1. Right, that Romans 8 says that if one, someone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So if the Holy Spirit comes to live within us at the moment of conversion, why do we pray for the Holy Spirit to come? Why do we pray 
for this kind of an outpouring? And the simple answer is because Jesus said we should. Turn to Luke chapter 11 and verse 9. Luke 11 and verse 9, Jesus says, And I say to you, Ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened to you. For everyone that asketh receiveth. To he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. If the son ask bread of his, any of you that is his father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? If he ask for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? That's a very definite statement of what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus teaches the Holy Spirit is given to those who, who pray definite, persistent prayer. Right? It is definite. Praying for the Holy Spirit. That's the point of the teaching. It is persistent in that you, you ask and ask and keep on asking, seek on seeking, keep on knocking. Right? And so what we find in Scripture is every believer, everyone who is born again, they do have the Holy Spirit living within them. But there is a difference between being spirit indwelt and spirit empowered or spirit filled. But right? after the outpouring of in the book of Acts. We see over and over again the idea that the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples. Right? It wasn't just a once for all, the Holy Spirit came, and then there they had it all, and they never were filled again. No, they, they first actually received the Holy Spirit in John around, what, 19. Jesus breathes on them and says, Receive ye the Holy Spirit. Then, in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and then we go, I mean, we could look at Acts 4 and on and on again that the Holy Spirit continually comes upon them. Right? And then here Jesus teaches that we are to pray. We're not praying to be indwelt. We're indwelt at salvation. We're praying for that filling that empowers us, that filling that makes us able to do the will of God. And that filling that makes us able to, to follow the Spirit and walk with Him in all that we say and all that we do. And the promise is, if we want to be filled with the Spirit, if we want to be led of the Spirit, if we want to be empowered by the Spirit, we absolutely can be. Every disciple of Jesus can and should be Spirit-filled and Spirit-led and Spirit-empowered in every area of their lives. And if that's what we want, and, and we should, then what Jesus teaches is that we should Pray for it. We need the Holy Spirit to fill us. We need the Holy Spirit to lead us. We need the Holy Spirit to empower us. And we need it on, at the very least, a daily basis. And so we must pray at the very least on a daily basis. So as we're gathered here tonight, we want to ensure that we are on the same page. That we are in one accord in what we're seeking. We come tonight seeking more of the Holy Spirit. The fullness of the Spirit in our lives. For an, for an outpouring upon us. 
so that we can be spirit-filled, spirit-led, spirit-empowered disciples of Jesus in all that we say and all that we do. So that our church would be known as a place where the Holy Spirit moves and works and guides in people's lives. So let's take a few minutes right now and let's pray. Pray for the Holy Spirit to fill us and to lead us and to empower us as individuals. And then pray for the Holy Spirit to to feel and lead and empower us as a church. Heavenly Father, we come tonight and we come, Lord, with one accord like we see in Acts, praying for one thing. We want to be Spirit-filled and Spirit-led and Spirit-empowered. Lord, as we just look at Scripture, it is obvious we cannot do all the things that we are supposed to do. Lord, Your Holy Spirit will fill us and empower us to do it. Fathers, we look at people in our community that are desperately in need of knowing Jesus Christ as their Savior. We know that we cannot save them, but the Holy Spirit can empower us to, to do things, to witness, to, to minister to them in ways that would make them see their need for Jesus. Father, we, we need more of your Spirit in our lives. So guide us as individuals. Help us to be open to the fullness of Your Spirit in our lives. Let us, our church, be a place, Father, where where the Spirit just has His way to guide us in all that we say and all that we do. And that, Lord, that there would be evidence in our lives and in our church of Your Spirit moving and empowering and doing things only He can do that we find in Scripture. Have Your way. And pour out your spirit upon us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now as we pray for an outpouring of the Spirit, we need to have an idea of what it would look like for the Holy Spirit to be poured out on our lives and our church. And thankfully, we don't have to guess. We don't have to wonder what that would look like. For spirit, The Scripture is not silent to what it would look like when someone is Spirit-filled, Spirit-led, and Spirit-empowered. Uh, and what we're going to do, the stuff we've got on your list there, I, I, I envision it being kind of a twofold purpose. On the one hand, it can be a prayer guide, right? As we pray for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, we can pray generally, Father, fill me with your Spirit, but we can also pray specifically for these particular things to be done in our lives, right? So it can be a, a prayer guide for us. But at the same time, All that we're going to look at, this is what the Holy Spirit does. This is what happens when someone is Spirit-filled and Spirit-led. It also becomes a way to examine our lives and our church. Am I Spirit-filled? Am I Spirit-led? Well, here are the things the Holy Spirit does. 
Do I see them in my life? Do I see them in our church? And it begins to be a way that we can pray and we can examine. And then in areas where we fall short, we can pray more specifically about those things. So several ways the Holy Spirit works in the life of a believer. The Holy Spirit produces spiritual fruit. Familiar passage, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. Right Now, all of that is very familiar. Something that is important to understand, though, is that any person, saved or lost, can display a measure of this fruit with or without the Holy Spirit. Right, A, a lost person does not need the Holy Spirit to love those who love them. A lost person does not need the Holy Spirit to have peace when everything is right in their world. A Holy, uh, an unbeliever doesn't need the Holy Spirit to have joy when everything's going the way they think it ought to go. We don't need the Holy Spirit to for love and joy and peace in those times, but we need the Holy Spirit to produce these things in what I would guess you'd call the the opposing times. Right when when times are difficult, because again, I can easily love those who love me. I don't need anything supernatural for that. But I need the Holy Spirit to produce a supernatural love in me. To love those people that are unlovable, because I mean, there are some people that are what we would call unlovable. They're difficult. Right? Jesus says we're supposed to love our enemies. Now, that's hard, right? I mean, that's not your run-of-the-mill, love my wife because my wife loves me kind of thing. Love those who despitefully use you. Love those who persecute you. That's, that's what the kind of love we're called to have. We can't do that on our own. We need the Holy Spirit to make us love In those times where we would more naturally be tempted to hate. But the joy of the Lord that is Holy Spirit produced is more naturally seen when circumstances conspire to steal our joy. When life is hard. When things go bad. That's the joy that comes up and erupts out of our life. Then that is supernatural. That is the Holy Spirit. The peace that passes all understanding isn't supernatural till we're in the midst of a storm. Right again, when things are, are going sideways and they're not the way that we think that they should, when, when normally we would be all in a tizzy and we would be overcome with anxiety, it is the Holy Spirit that enables us to have peace in that time. But we're only really long-suffering or patient in some translations when we're tempted to act out in anger. But in those moments where we are angry, something flashes in us and we want to lash out. Well, anyone can do that. But the Holy Spirit-filled disciple can have patience and long-suffering and restrain that and not act out in anger. It's easy to be kind until we want to be unkind. Right? I mean, we all kind of, we all have times, whether it's somebody we don't like or a particular issue, where unkindness is the temptation in that moment. We need the supernatural kindness of the Holy Spirit. There, there is no challenge at being 
good until we're tempted to not be good. Faithfulness is best seen and most amazing when we want to be unfaithful. And meekness or gentleness is only supernatural when we want to be harsh. Self-control, when we're, it's only self-control when we are restraining an urge to do something else. Right? Anybody can do any of those to some degree without the Holy Spirit. But it takes the Holy Spirit to cause us to do those when we're tempted to do the other things. So the Holy Spirit, He produces a good fruit, spiritual fruit in us. So we can pray for that, but we can also examine our lives. Do I see these things evidenced in my life? If not, then that's something to pray for. The Holy Spirit enables prayer. It says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And He searcheth the hearts, knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because He maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. There are any number of ways that this could come up in our lives. Because we all have times where issues come up and we don't know how to pray. I mean, do you... How do we pray in this moment? How do we pray for this situation? What, what would be the right thing to pray at this time? Do we... What if we... Well, like tonight, people ask for uh, unspoken prayer requests. How do we pray for that? Because we don't, know the, we don't even know what the actual need is. We know there's a need, but not the actual need. How do we lift that up to the Lord? How do we... Pray, intercede effectively for that. What if, what if we're just so overwhelmed at, at the issue that as we pray, we can't even form words? All we can do is just weep and cry and we are at a complete loss for what to say or even how to speak. What do we do? Well, the Holy Spirit helps us in that time. Scripture calls that a, a time of, of weakness. For us there. We are weak or our infirmities. We don't know how to pray as we ought. And so what happens is the Holy Spirit intercedes for us in those times. Sometimes it's, it is through the, the groanings and the utterings that come. Those times where we just are overwhelmed with tears. Sometimes when we say, you know, they had a, an unspoken, God, I don't know what it is, but I know that you do. That seems like such an imperfect prayer. But what happens is the Holy Spirit, He knows our heart, and He knows that need, and He knows the Father's will. And so what He is able to do is take our heart to really pray for them, and, and deal with it in the way that it needs to be done, because what's going on, and lift it up to the Father in a way that perfects the prayer. That's one reason as believers when we pray, we don't always have to worry about having the exact right words. Right? We don't have to, to memorize prayers from books and then quote those back to God. The reason is the Holy Spirit, He knows our heart and our intention. He knows the needs and He knows the Father's will. And as we try to pray, He takes what we do, He squares it away and He lifts it up. And He intercedes for us according to the will of the Father. I don't know about you, that's something I need. 
all kinds of things in my life I don't know for how to pray for. And the Holy Spirit helps us. Prayer. The Holy Spirit gives spiritual strength. We'll see this in a couple of weeks on a Sunday. That He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with my, by His Spirit in the inner man. Right now, within the context of Ephesians and, and just all of life and what we've talked about, the Holy Spirit can give us spiritual strength so we can stand against the wiles of the devil. Right? There is an enemy that seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. How do we stand against that? Our strength is insufficient. Well, the Holy Spirit can give us the strength to stand against those tricks and strategies. The Holy Spirit can empower us so that at the end of the evil day we are still standing and have not been overcome. The Holy Spirit can cause us to have love when we want to have hate, have joy when we're tempted to be discouraged, resist the temptation when we're tempted to give in to it. But all of the, all of the ways we need spiritual strength in our lives, the Holy Spirit is able to help us. When we're tempted to quit, the Holy Spirit can empower us to persevere. And again, those are the sort of things that we can look at and we can examine our lives. Right? Am, I, am I failing in this day? Am I falling short? Am I giving in to temptation? Am I being deceived and being led astray? Am I falling short on this time? If so, well, boy, I need the Holy Spirit. I should pray for that. But right? following the Holy Spirit leads to holiness. Paul writes in Galatians, I say this then. Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, that you cannot do the things that you would. Right? Anytime we have a desire to do the will of God, there's going to be a, a counter-desire that comes up within us. It doesn't matter what it is. Uh, it can be to, to do a good thing for God. I have a desire to share the gospel, to serve the Lord in this way, to do this. There will always be a counter-desire that says... Today's not a good day. Maybe a later time. You're not the person to do it. There's a desire to, to live for the Lord. Here's a temptation. I'm not going to do it. There's going to be a counter desire. This is all, come on. It's not a big deal. Nobody will see. Who cares? Don't worry about it. Other people are doing worse. Right? That counter desire is always our sinful nature. Right? It's never the Holy Spirit leading us to not do God's will or to do something that is not God's will. But when we follow the Spirit, we will always walk on a path of holiness. We will always fulfill and do the will of the Father. Now, in regard to holiness, right, resisting temptation to walk with Jesus, that's hugely important in our day. For holiness, is, it seems to be all but lost in our day. The, the need for holiness, practical, everyday holiness among believers is seen as legalism in our culture. And yet, Scripture says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. An unholy person, whether they claim Christ or not, will not, will not call heaven their eternal home. My friends, holiness matters. And we will not live in practical holiness without the Spirit. And again, this is a place where we can just practically examine our lives. Do I lead a life of holiness? And if not, 
Clearly, I am not following the Spirit's leading in my life. The Holy Spirit reveals truth from Scripture. Howbeit, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth. For He shall not speak of Himself, but whatsoever He shall hear, that shall He speak, and He will show you things to come. Now, a major part of what the Holy Spirit was going to do in the life of the apostles was reveal truths for them to write down, to pass on to others. They would understand who Jesus was, what Jesus had accomplished, uh, and what that meant for people on a practical, everyday way of life. Now, the things that they wrote down are contained for us in our New Testaments. And the canon of Scripture is closed, so the Holy Spirit is not revealing new information today. There are no new books of the Bible being written. But that doesn't mean His his ministry of revealing things has ended. Instead, what it means for us is that as we read the Bible, the Holy Spirit will help us to understand it. The Holy Spirit will show us truths from Scripture that perhaps we did not understand before. Have you ever been reading a passage and, and it just, for some reason, it's a familiar passage even, and just on that day, it's like it jumps right out and grabs you. And it's exactly what you need at that moment. Or it challenges you at a particular thing that's going on in your life. Or it, it encourages you or it strengthens you or, or whatever. That is the Holy Spirit. But that's not a coincidence. That's not the time of day. That's not the coffee. That is the Holy Spirit taking Scripture, lifting it up and saying, Look at this. Understand what God the Father wants for you. Now, the Holy Spirit can do this because He is fully aware of all that's going on in our lives. Again, He, he lives within us. He knows the, the desires of our heart, the thoughts in our minds, and the words that we do not speak. And so He is able to take the Word and, and just illuminate it in such a way that it speaks to our exact circumstance on a given day. And we need this. He does this through preaching. He does this through our personal reading. We constantly need the Holy Spirit to be what Paul said in Ephesians 1. The spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of God. And again, this is something that we can practically examine our lives for. How is your time in the Word? Is it dry and dusty? Is it like you're reading Swahili? Or is there stuff jumping out? Ways that the Word is challenging you, encouraging you, equipping you, and helping you. Our time in God's Word, it's never meant to be dry and dusty. It's never meant to be looking like we're reading a Swahili Bible. It is always meant to work and challenge and change and help us. And when it's not, we need the Holy Spirit. That's our need at that time. The Holy Spirit gives and renews hope. He says, now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace of believing that you may abound in hope, the power of the Holy Spirit. Now the Holy Spirit gives and renews hope through His work in our lives. Every time He reveals something to us from Scripture, we're reminded God is at work in our lives. That He is shaping us and changing us. 
Even, even when we're convicted by Scripture, sin in our life, the Holy Spirit deals with us, presses down, brings us to repentance. Do you realize what a gift of grace that is by God? Because when we sin and the Holy Spirit convicts, that is two things. One, that is God saying, you are mine. And I will not let my child live that way. I always want to say, if we can live in sin without the conviction of the Holy Spirit, it's not because we have a loophole. It's not because we have a special inside track with God. It's because we're not His children. That's what what Hebrews 12 says. If we sin without chastisement, it's because we're illegitimate. We're not really His. So that conviction is a confirmation. I am a child of God. And it's also God saying, I'm not through with you yet. You may have blown it. You may have blown it big. You may have blown it five million times today. But I'm not done with you. I'm not giving up on you. I began a good work in you and I will bring it to completion. That is God, the Holy Spirit, giving and renewing hope within us. Anytime the Holy Spirit does anything in our lives, it reminds us of the greatness of God's promises to us. It reminds us the Holy Spirit is merely the down payment on all that God is going to do in our lives someday. And every time the Holy Spirit does it, our hope just grows and gets bigger. The Holy Spirit gives certainty of salvation. You have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit. We are the children of God. This is one that I love, but I don't know how to properly explain. And here's what I mean. I don't know any objective way to tell you how the Holy Spirit does this. All I know is that for me, in my time of seeking and praying and wanting to be sure that I was saved, there was a moment where the Holy Spirit confirmed to me where I I knew that I was saved. And you say, well, that was just a subjective feeling. I'm not going to argue with you. It was some sort of a feeling. There wasn't a letter that dropped down from heaven. There weren't letters that stood out on the Bible that said you are saved. There was just a a peace and a certainty that I knew I belonged to God. How did He do it? What would it be like for you? I cannot give those answers. All I know is that the Holy Spirit bore witness with my spirit. That I was a child of God. And that's part of what He is meant to do. If we don't have certainty of our salvation, we're not meant to live that way. We can seek God. We can seek the Word. We can seek the Spirit. And He will confirm it and make us certain that we are God's children. The Holy Spirit works to produce Christ-likeness. But we all with an open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory even as by the Spirit of the Lord. The ultimate goal of our lives as Christians is not that our lives would be easy or comfortable, that we would be like Jesus. And it is the Holy Spirit that works to do that. He works to change us from glory to glory. It is the Spirit of God that is always 
at work in our lives. Always helping us to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And again, this is one of those things that we can look at objectively. Right? Because no one in here, no matter how far along we are in our faith, we're not just like Jesus yet. There are issues in our lives where we fall short. So what we can do is we can say, okay, my spirit-filled and spirit-led, how is the spirit changing me? What is God doing in my life right now to make me more like Jesus? What, what is He saying, this is what you should do, this is what you shouldn't do? Because if I'm spirit-filled and spirit-led, the Holy Spirit is not going to let me languish anything less than Christ-likeness. He is going to work. So I can say... What am I being challenged on? What am I being changed about? What is being? What am I being called on the carpet about that I need to do differently by the Holy Spirit? And where there's nothing, I mean, if I am the same today as I was last year, well, I'm clearly not Spirit-filled and Spirit-led. Because if the Spirit is filling me and leading me and empowering me, He's changing me so that I can be even more like Jesus in some ways. The Holy Spirit empowers soul winning. She shall receive power if the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Shall be witnesses both to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth. You shall. We won't talk much about this because in a later uh, lesson on our soul winning lessons we will talk about that. But understand, if we are spirit filled and spirit led at some point, we will be led to testify about Jesus. Not just with our life, but there will be a verbal witness we will have to give. There will just be a compulsion within us from the Spirit to do this. And the Holy Spirit gives an awareness of opportunities to minister to others. It says that he arose and went, and behold, a, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of her treasure and come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning, sitting in a chariot, read Isaiah the prophet, and the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. Philip ran thither to him heard him read from the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? Now don't get caught up in the fact the Spirit spoke to Philip at that time in a way that was, I don't know how was it, the Spirit spoke, but he did. What I want us to see in this is that the Holy Spirit made him aware of an opportunity to minister to this guy. The Holy Spirit said, That guy, go talk to him. Now in this case, it was ministered through the Word. He opened up Isaiah the prophet he was in Isaiah 53, and he walked him through that, showed how that led to Jesus, and led him to Christ and baptized him. When the Holy Spirit leads us to minister to people, it will not always be gospel ministry like that. Sometimes it will be, go pray for them. Buy their meal. Go ask if you can help them in some way. Go visit them. Send them a card. Now, the Holy Spirit will make us aware of the needs of the people around us. And that's part of what He does in our lives. And that's just some. We don't have time to look at everything. But can you see where, where these are, are needed in your life? Can you see where these are needed in our church? And that's why we need an outpouring of the Holy Spirit on our lives, on our church. But here's where we have to be careful. Right? Because the Holy Spirit... How do I say this? The Holy Spirit doesn't work on our timetable. The Holy Spirit doesn't work at our convenience and at our leisure. 
The Holy Spirit works well as as God because the Holy Spirit is God. And so He may wake us up in the middle of the night and say, go pray. We may be out with our friends or going out to eat with our family. The Holy Spirit may say, go invite them to church. Who knows what He'll do, how He'll do it. And in that moment, we'll have a choice. Will we follow the Spirit's leading or will we do what Scripture says not to do? Quench not the Spirit. And from what I can tell in Scripture and from what I have experienced in my life, the Holy Spirit never really forces us to do anything. He doesn't grab us and take us and make us. Even with repentance. He may convict us, but we still have to go along with that conviction, don't we? Follow that and repent. He does all kinds of things and He may lead us to do all kinds of things. But in all of this, He never forces. Instead, He reveals something. There's a need. I want you to talk to them. Do this and not that. Go pray. Don't don't react in anger. Exercise self-control. Don't hate them, love them. But He'll do all of that. And in that moment where He's leading us to do something or to be something, we will have a choice to make. Will we follow the Spirit or will we quench the Spirit? Quenching the Spirit is the easiest thing to do. Because the Holy Spirit isn't going... Again, He's not going to force us to do it. I read something about God forced Jonah. But if you think about it, Jonah didn't even really, wasn't really forced, was he? Now he was swallowed by a great fish, but it was still his choice. He could have been digested. God would have let him. Or he could have went to Nineveh to preach. Now the Holy Spirit isn't going to grab us and shake us and force us along the way He wants us to go. He convicts. He guides. He reveals. He shows. He points. He prods. He pokes. But we have to determine that we're going to follow His leading and we're going to do what He says and not quench the Spirit. I don't know if I can prove this from Scripture. So this is my opinion. I'm just going to give you Rossology, as my dad says, and not theology. So feel free to disagree with me. I won't argue with you on this. My understanding, my my belief, because of what I've experienced mostly, is when we reject, when we quench the Spirit, the longer we quench the Spirit, He eventually stops guiding us in that way. When He says, see that need, go do something. And we go, oh no, I'm not the one. Or we come up with this reason and we don't. And then the next time He says, see that need, go do something. And we say, oh no, no, no. Eventually what we find is, He stops revealing the need to us. When He convicts us about something, and we harden our hearts. You know, the Bible even talks about hardening our hearts toward God. That's what it is. 
The Holy Spirit convicts. He's sharpening and He's pointing on us with Scripture. We're, no, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do what I want. I'm not going to do it. Eventually, the Holy Spirit stops working in us in that way to some extent. If we want to be sensitive to the Spirit's leading, we have to be surrendered to the Spirit's leading. We have to do what He says to do because the more that we quench it, the more natural it will be for us to quench it and the less He will work in our lives. For truly, if I pray, Oh God, fill me with Your Spirit. Let me have experience the fullness of Your Spirit and I'll go where You want me to go. And yet God knows that when the Spirit leads, I'm going to quench it. Why would He fill me? Why would He pour the Spirit out in my life if I'm not going to do the Spirit is going to lead me to do. All right, so let's let's take time and we're going to pray. And pick a couple of these to pray for for yourself, for our church. And pray that we will not quench the Spirit in our lives. Heavenly Father, we come. And Lord, I I confess I have quenched the Spirit on numerous occasions. I have given what I felt were valid excuses. Lord, they were nothing more than that, just excuses. Or I quenched the Spirit. Forgive me. Fill me. Let Your Spirit work in my life to reveal Ways that I can minister to others. Opportunities to share the gospel. Let the fruit of the Spirit be evident in my life. Always. God in our church, Father, that we would not quench the Spirit and His leadership in our lives. Father, we would follow anything that we... I mean, if we even had an inkling that it was You... God, we would move out in faith and do what Your Spirit was leading us to do. Guide us that we would not be afraid. We would not let fear quench the Spirit. Make us people who are Spirit-filled and Spirit-led, Spirit-empowered in every area of our lives. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. As we close, it's easy for us to let the excesses of fringe groups cause us to fear or neglect the Holy Spirit. There's no reason for us to do that. I mention this frequently. Seeking an outpouring of the Holy Spirit doesn't equate becoming a crazy. And let's not let the fact that the crazies exist cause us to pull back and quench the Spirit. 
Let's not let them steal what is meant to be ours in Christ. Right? Let's not let fear, let's not fear the Holy Spirit or anything He would want to do in us or through us and for us. For the Holy Spirit will never lead us outside the bounds of Scripture. Let's not ignore the Holy Spirit. Because in doing so, we miss out on a huge part of what's meant to be ours through Christ. Jesus and Paul both teach that we can know the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him. For he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Paul said, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion, the Holy Ghost, be with you all. Jesus said we would know the Holy Spirit. Paul said have communion. Other translations refer to that as fellowship. Well, the implication is that we can know the Holy Spirit just as well as we know God the Father and God the Son. We should, as believers in Jesus Christ, have a relationship. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Let's seek to know the Holy Spirit the way that we know Jesus. Let's choose to be a people who seek to be Spirit-filled and Spirit-led in every area of our lives. Let's rejoice in all that God has given us through the Holy Spirit. Let's press in and seek God for all the fullness the Holy Spirit brings into our lives. Let's pray for a mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in our church. Let's stand and we'll be dismissed in prayer.